Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and just want to welcome everyone who is new. If you are new, we're glad you found us. We're hoping we can be some help for you today. And if you're not new, welcome back. So we've got a great show today. I'm so excited to talk about this topic of developmental delays in kids and how screens are causing these developmental delays. And I just have to share a little story because, you know, I just have to do this every time we start a podcast because I have so many stories. Some are sad and some are happy. And this one is just kind of sad. And it's a story that repeats itself. It, It just seems like over and over weekly, I don't know, maybe every other week I get emails and phone calls from parents that are struggling with smartphones, of course, and video games too. But the smartphone stories follow this certain pattern. And the call that I got this week was from a mom whose son had received a sext uh, picture from a gal that he immediately started sharing all over the school. And, you know, it's heartbreaking because He's on a sports team. And as a result, there's just a lot of bad things that have been happening. And as we all know, these stories happen every day in every school. And even when we're in the pandemic, it happens. What's so sad about it is from what I know and from where I sit and from what I've researched over all the years that I've worked on this, this I know can just be avoided. There's so much prevention that we can do as parents, but what we're doing um, is just the wrong thing. We're giving kids smartphones. That's just the wrong thing. The smartphone is an adult tool and kids cannot use it the way adults use it. Kids do not have adult brains. All this information about development is the core reason why Screen Strong exists and why we are just on a mission to explain to every parent why this technology is not appropriate for our teenagers. And today we'll be talking with Melissa Picaro. She is an occupational therapist and she's going to help unpack this a little bit further for us. It is not that technology is bad. We never want people to think that. But what we're doing is we're giving this very powerful tool to a very underdeveloped brain during a season of development where kids are seeking novelty, they're seeking risk-taking, they're at the highest level of really having problems with their impulse control. So when they get a novelty picture um, that's inappropriate, the very first thing they want to do is share it with all their friends. They can't help themselves. And parents get so frustrated because they keep saying, but I told him not to do it. And so today we're going to have Melissa explain to us why they're still clicking. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I know that was a crazy story. And I know you know this story and it just happens all the time. And it's very sad. And I don't ever want people to get desensitized to these stories. This child that this happened to, um, high school kid, this is going to ding his record and it's going to actually scar him and the gal that is involved for their their life. They're never going to forget this. So let's start first with your background. Just tell us what your background is and then what made you passionate about this topic? 
I'm an occupational therapist and I specialize in sensory integration and sensory processing. So that is not your traditional occupational therapist, I guess. We work on a foundational nervous system that impacts higher level learning. So we were talking about development. Uh, we work on the basic sensory systems, the five senses, um, and then there are two to three more proprioception and vestibular, which are just fancy words for where my body is in space and how I experience movement. So we're talking about the high schooler. We we do work with older children, uh, but what we try to do is prevent that from ever happening in the future. We work with the younger children. We work with uh, screen addiction. So my practice, I've been in business on and off. I've had two pediatric practices, uh, one in Houston um, and now in Washington State. And uh, my practice has gone from working with children with developmental delays to technology and media addiction. And that is where we are right now. So you went from working with kids with developmental delays, which that's been around, of course, from the beginning of time, right? But then now now it's more of kids that are struggling with screen issues. So is that kind of one and the same, these developmental delays and screen issues? It's causing more developmental delays. Yep. So we're having to back up and figure out why they're having more developmental delays, why we're seeing more primitive reflexes that aren't being integrated. And those are reflexes that children should actually lose by the age of, say, one. Uh, we're seeing that in 12-year-old children, and th- that impacts their daily functioning. So, Wow. Explain that a little bit more. Explain about these reflexes you're talking about. So primitive reflexes are reflexes that are in utero. They're um, autonomic, instinctual movements that assist in like development and growth and survival, right? Um, and so there's things like in utero, they help through birth, they help shortly after birth. And so these reflexes aren't becoming integrated because our children aren't experiencing life like, like we used to. I mean, I grew up in the South without shoes, so I was getting tactile on my feet. We were climbing trees. We were rolling in the grass. I mean, we were experiencing the world. We were out, out in the world. Unfortunately, we probably had little supervision. All of us are cousins and all of us playing. Uh, but we were experiencing the world. And so we were, we were actually helping integrate those reflexes by movement and, ex- and experiences, right? And our children today aren't doing that because they're spending way more time stationary, way more time, especially most recently, uh, locked inside, not outside. And so those reflexes aren't getting integrated. We all have the same amount of time during the day, right? And if you're going to spend four, six, we have some kids 12 hours a day on media and technology, um, you're trading that off for life experiences. So these kids that are sedentary on their screens aren't getting the sensory stimulation. I think this is so fascinating. I think it's really interesting. I I know a little bit about occupational therapists just from being in this field for as long as I have been and researching and talking with people. And one occupational therapist explained explained it to me that when a toddler or two, three, four, five-year-old goes outside, what they're experiencing in nature alone is just so rich, right? So they're hearing the birds, they're seeing the leaves Mm -hmm. flutter, they're feeling, like you said, the grass on their feet, they're feeling the cool temperature or the hot temperature, and all that is stimulating certain areas of their brain. When that doesn't happen, then what happens? I mean, are certain areas of their brain just not getting developed? Absolutely. And I think that is one of the reasons that we're seeing way more diagnoses of autism um, and that's a whole nother story, how that, that really smart, intelligent brain is attracted to the screen and less social and eye contact. If you don't have those life experiences, 
um, then your brain doesn't develop like it's supposed to. I mean, you do need those sensory systems to actually get higher level learning. And on our, on our webpage at campkingkids.com, we have a pyramid that I've used for years um, that explains what that looks like. So to be able to get that higher level learning behavior, be able to dress yourself, be able to, you know, make a sandwich, be able to just do those life skill things, a catch a ball. You have to have those sensory experiences that the brain can actually, the neurological system can actually build upon. You're not getting experiences out in nature and nature. That would be one of my suggestions at the end. Uh, if you're not outside in nature, you're not developing that brain like, like you need to be. And so lack of enough proper movement in early childhood is the number one reason why we're, we're seeing reflexes unintegrated. Either they were integrated and became unintegrated or they were just never integrated. And we know about the pathways that don't get used, get pruned away. But let's, I want to talk about that. But before we move away from this, I want to also just say that when I started teaching this material from my nursing brain, not so much my occupational therapist brain, because I'm really fascinated with all this occupational therapy information, but um, I came up with this little an acronym for ATM. I called it attachment, touch, and movement, and that your kids need their ATM every day, just like you go to the ATM machine mm-hmm. <laughs> and they need to feel attached to your family. And then they need a lot of touch. That can be you hugging them, rubbing their shoulders, anything like that, or just touch outside with that rough and tumble that kids need in, in the grass, in the dirt, in the mud, anything that they can do to get this touch going on. And then of course, mm-hmm. movement. So ATM is a good way for parents to just remember that, Hey, I need to get some ATM here for my kids today. And most every ATM machines are outside. <laughs> so <laughs> you can remember that, that just like you make a deposit in your bank, you need to do that um, with your kids outside ATM. Of course, now, ironically, now we really don't go to the ATM anymore. <laughs> we do electronic banking now. So boy, is that parallel to what we're doing with our kids. So let's talk about what happens when these pathways that that we're talking about, all the sensory information that is richly developing these neural connections in your, your kid's brain. It's kind of like fireworks going off when they hit the grass, when they're playing in the mud, when when they even hold a pencil to write a letter, their brain is just being stimulated in these wonderful ways, just the sensory input from even the holding the pencil, you know, now they're typing and there's just this tiny little bit of skin actually touching the keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when you hold a crayon or a pencil, you get much more stimulation in the brain. But what happens when these types of stimulation and these types of sensory input are not there. What happens to these areas of the brain? Um, the therapists that I learned under a long time ago were just amazing therapists. They would say there'd be a crack in the foundation of that pyramid that we have. And so you can actually be able to catch a ball, be able to do it, but not age appropriately or very poorly, right? Where you can't keep up with your peers or um, the other children, right? So we have parents that come in and say, oh, well, my child can catch a ball or my child can balance on one foot. Well, yes, but they're eight and they're balancing at a four-year-old level. So yes, they can balance, but it's not age appropriate, right? So I think there, there's, um, you know, parents out there aren't even aware of like what that looks like age appropriately. And for lots of reasons, I mean, kids aren't out in the neighborhood. There's really not a lot to compare to and being in lockdown. Um, you know, a lot of these parents aren't aware of that, but you're right. I mean, and, and if you don't use it, you lose it. And so, um, you know, that ability to sustain eye contact, 
if you're not practicing that and not using it and your parents aren't encouraging that, then that's just something, a skill that you don't develop. And I mean, it's very important in our culture to have eye contact, just those simple things like that. The eye contact thing that, you know, you're hitting on is so critical because it's not only important, obviously, just for getting along with people and having relationships, but it's important for many other reasons too, just the the empathy and, and for the areas of the brain, again, the visual cortex that's being stimulated and the mirrored neurons that are being activated, all these things without eye contact, you don't get any of those things. And one thing I remember when my kids, um, one of my boys was in third grade, I think it was around third grade, they were playing baseball and a kid on third base got hurt. He got hit by the ball. My son was in third base. And so when he came in, I said, well, was so-and-so really hurt? And he said, well, mom, I couldn't really tell how hurt he was because I couldn't, I didn't really see his face. Mm-hmm. You know, like he said, he was saying, I didn't make eye contact. And I mm-hmm. thought, wow, that was really powerful. <laughs> he couldn't mm-hmm. even tell, you know, he's like, I think he was hurt, but I couldn't really tell because I couldn't see his eyes. You know, he wanted, he was telling me, well, if I couldn't see, if I didn't make that eye contact, I wasn't able to evaluate how this other person was doing. Absolutely. And when you think, and you talked about relationships, right? We need to have that eye contact to, to actually develop relationships. But you think about even employment in the, in the future, I mean, if I, I have a business, if I have somebody that comes in and wants to work with us and they can't look at me or they're constantly looking around the room and not attending to what I'm, I'm speaking to them about or the questions that I'm asking, I'm, I'm sort of like, well, what's going on with this person? You know, will, will this be a person that will be able to communicate with parents in the waiting room after the session or work with kids? Right? Right. So I'm like, I'm probably not going to hire that person, you know, and that's yeah. sad to say because they don't have those skills and, and those are skills that our culture demands. Right. And, and you touched on, you know, if you don't, um, you don't use it, you kind of lose it thing. Right. And in the neural pruning and we don't have to go into all that neurology, but you know, if, if you don't have those, those experiences, right. Then that part of your body, just that your body, the brain just kind of prunes itself of those skills. So explain that just a little bit more. I, I'm very fascinated with neural pruning and um, I talk about that in my workshops. And so what you're saying is I mean, there's all these, connections that are happening and that if they don't get used enough a few times during development, but especially around puberty, right? The brain starts to say, okay, we're not using this. We're going to get rid of it because we need to be more efficient. I think for our listeners, I think that's a really good way to explain it. But how, how does the brain really decide what it's going to keep and what it's going to prune away? So uh, if the brain does it, doesn't um, utilize those synapses that are necessary for um, you know, for eye contact, for balance, for all those those kind of things, then it just sort of kind of dumps it. And to be able to to maintain those, it has a lot to do with neurotransmitters and the firing, you know, the dendrites and, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. So when you have an experience, you know, there sends off chemicals and then it sort of so sets in a pathway. And so then those connections remain. So say you, you don't use your your right hand, you know, for several months or whatever, right? The body's going to sort of forget how that that right hand works. And then it's just going to sort of not really work well, even though you're capable of using that hand, um, it, it may work, but it may not work well. Um, and so that's kind of what we're seeing with children. Again, you know, the, the whole spectrum of autism, a lot of these children want to be on technology and media and they're more comfortable looking at a screen because there's there's no eye contact necessary, which is uncomfortable. There's no social, um, no social implications. I don't have to learn the social norms. I don't have to learn distance. I don't have to be, to be able, like your son said, I didn't see his eyes. They don't have to be able to read those cues. So it's way more comfortable to be on screen time and media 
and not have to use those skills that are uncomfortable or try or to practice those skills. And so then eventually they don't, they're not very good at it. And so they kind of drift more and more into becoming more reclusive and, uh, and less social. And, and, you know, and, and the brain has all these neural networks, I guess, right? And when it does prune those things, the, the ones that it doesn't need or we don't, we don't need anymore, then that brain becomes way more efficient. So it's like, like a straight connection from, you know, the internet to the computer. And it's a straight line. Well, that's way more efficient than having all these lines running all over the building. And, you know, or, and, and that's not as efficient. The body is an amazing thing when it, it prunes off the synapses that it doesn't really need anymore. Right. No, that really makes a lot of sense. So what happens if you're, you know, like every mom out there, I mean, we're not born with this knowledge, right? We have a baby, we bring them home from the hospital. We don't have a little handout that tells us how important all this stuff is. And I think back in time, even 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, moms just let their kids out in the backyard and they got all these things. And we didn't even, our parents didn't even know that they were doing the right thing, but they were doing the right thing. Cause like you said in the beginning, you were outside, you grew up barefoot, you know, running around and getting all the stuff. So the thing that's so frustrating is not that our parents did it right, cause they, did. They just didn't know. And we didn't have the screens to pull us away. We had the Brady Bunch that we would watch, but after 30 minutes, it was over. And then you went back outside and you couldn't binge on Netflix. And it was naturally paced because people might say, well, we were fine growing up. And we, well, of course we were fine because we were getting all of this stuff. We had cuts and bruises and stitches and broken bones. And we had all these things. We were experiencing life, like you said, but now we have to get very diligent about what we're doing with our kids. we It's not natural anymore for them no. to get all these needs met. So what happens, Melissa, when these needs don't get met and you're out there listening to us today and you have a 10-year-old and you realize, oh my goodness, you know, he is getting behind developmentally. He is um, craving this low effort, high reward screen all the time and he's stuck. And I realize he is awkward. I can't even take him to the store and he won't even ask the lady where the flower is. You know, I mean- they're losing this ability to do that. So can we rebuild this? And how do we do that? We go back and put them outside? Is that how we do it? <laughs> I think the best thing my great grandmother ever did for myself, my brother, my cousins was lock the screen door and leave us outside all day long, right? <laughs> it was yeah. the best. I'm thinking, how hard was that to parent? You're like, you know, and, and not even worry about if we had shoes on, right? We, we didn't need shoes. We were playing in the grass. Who needs shoes for that? We weren't allowed to come in until dinner time. We lived in Florida. It was really warm. And that was just, that was just the rule. Like you, you were outside. You didn't come in until dinner, till the streetlights came on. That was it. I mean. Absolutely, right? I mean, how your, your house stays clean when the kids are outside all day. That's a, that's a bonus right there. <laughs> getting vitamin D. They're getting their exercise. And the most important thing they're getting besides all the sensory information they're playing with friends. They're getting that eye-to-eye -eye contact. They're working through conflicts. They're experiencing all these things that they're going to experience in the boardroom one day when they have you know, a job. Hopefully, they're still not living on your couch. They're doing all that practice. So really, that is really the best thing to do. But when you have screen kids, like I call them, it's really hard to get them outside and it's really hard to get over that hump because it's very awkward. That is that is great to talk about that, right? I mean, that is the way that children are supposed to be. They are designed. And you said your parents or our parents would, you know, put us outside and play outside all day. And they didn't really know what they were doing to bed. 
it worked for us, right? I mean, and there's reasons why. I mean, there's so much information out there that's been out there for so long as to why that works. And so our, our kids aren't doing that. And so I think one of the ways to do that is for parents to disconnect, right? And I think that's one of the hardest things is for them to put their phone down and spend a little bit of time, a little bit of time, right? They're not their children's playmate. They're not their child's best friend. They're their parent. And that's really important. But spend a little bit of time with them and make eye contact and talk to them and spend time because you and I both know that that is such a short period of time to spend with our kids. My three, well, that is can-do kids, Clayton, Anthony, and Nicole. My oldest is going to be 25. My um, my middle child is going to be 23. And then my daughter uh, is 19, will be 20 in September. I mean, that happens so quickly, right? I and I, I yeah. just like Tom, Thomas Kirsten's book, Disconnected. I mean, I show that to parents all the time. I said, look at this. This child is holding something and looking at it. Why would you spend your time touching that? And why would you look at that piece of equipment for so long without looking at your child or your yeah. wife, or your spouse, your husband? I mean, without doing that. So I think parents have to start with that. But I don't think parents need to um, be playing with their kids all day long. I mean, you talked about being bored. We could go on and on about this, but but being bored is so important because you learn to problem solve. You learn to figure things out. This country, I mean, as far as I understand, we are falling farther and farther behind in patent development because we're, our kids are not bored enough to come up with a solution to a problem. Yeah, they're not being innovative and innovation begins in free play with peers outside on the ball field, on the sandlot or whatever it is you're doing. You've got to figure out you're biking on a trail. There's there's a stream. You've got to get over it. I mean, there's all these Absolutely. things that happen in free play that do not happen on a screen. And why don't you talk about that a little bit? Talk to us about why it is different. And even when they say they're building something on Minecraft, talk yeah. to us about why this is different. Yeah, we talked about the neural pathways, right? And so when you talk about like, say, catching a ball, the more times you throw and catch a ball, the more you develop the neural network that will make you a better baseball player. So playing a game where, you know, it's throwing a ball or, you know, there's a baseball player um, virtually catching a ball and throwing a ball and you're punching a button, that is not going to establish a neural pathway that's going to make you a better baseball player. And people say, well, this is eye-hand coordination. And they show me, you know, touching your phone or a game, you know, with both hands. I'm like, no, eye-hand coordination. And I, I, <laughs> I demonstrate throwing a baseball. People are like, wow, you can catch and throw. I'm like, well, I had two boys. I mean, my husband worked. Who's going to, you know, throw the ball in the backyard? I am. I mean, that's who's going to do that during the day. I got to be better at it even at an older age. Those life experiences, just like you said about by crossing the river, right? We can mimic that in a clinic space and we can work on that in practice, but we have these, you know, colored rocks. But that's not the difference between crossing a stream where, um, and I use this analogy, where you problem solve. You look at that rock that's under the water that's wet and green, okay? Do I put my foot on that one or do I put my foot on the big rock that's white, dry, and above the water? And those are things that we can't do in the clinic. We can sort of start them out on that and train parents and say, this is what you need to be doing. Because once you put your foot on that wet, green rock under the water and you slip and you fall, you're going to learn next time that's not a good plan, right? And, and I tell parents, don't solve your kids' problems for them right? These hovering parents that tell them every step of everything to do, that's not helping develop neural pathways. They have to figure it out. 
obviously if it's an unsafe situation, you don't want to, you don't want to let your child learn, learn a lesson the really hard way, but there are some things that they just have to figure out and give them time to solve that. It didn't occur to me till, I don't know, probably a year ago, maybe even less. I'm sad to say is that all my cousins, my brother, I, my cousins, we all own our own businesses. So we were probably all ADHD, but we didn't know that because we came in when the lights came on and we fell in our bed. I mean, we were exhausted, right? And so, and we slept really well. And so we do, we all own our business, our own businesses. We all work very hard. We all have these skills that we developed. And even though we probably were ADHD, we didn't get the medication because we didn't need it to calm down. We were constantly moving, right? And, And so we talked about playgrounds, right? Or we talked about outside in nature and movement and all that stuff. Look at our playgrounds today. Nothing moves on them really. Oh no, because it's, you know, worried about the lawsuit out there. Absolutely. So let me just give you experience. So, so, so first of all, you're, I don't, you're probably about the same age and I went, I played in the South. So the slide was probably, I don't know, 12 feet in the air. It felt like maybe 50 <laughs> and it was, yeah. it was hot. And yep. uh, it was unsafe. And when you went down the thing, you went down really fast. And yeah. more than likely, if you didn't put your feet out quickly enough, you hit the ground and you fell on your bottom, right? So what did we learn? If it's hot in the summertime, I'm not going to get on that or I'm going to get on it with pants on or I'm going to lift my legs so that my legs don't burn. I put my feet <laughs> out so that we <laughs> learned a lot. <laughs> That's right, right? And you do it over and over and over and then you just, you learn. And so We've removed, I don't know about you guys or where you are, but we've removed merry-go-rounds, which are vestibular, which are literally the, the foundation of development. And I have an ad, I have an art, an ad from the 1900s that for merry-go-rounds. And in that ad, it says, makes children smarter. Oh and I was like, goodness. oh my gosh, in the 1900s, they knew that vestibular, rotary, and linear, which you get on swings is linear. Rotary or what you get on merry-go-rounds, and we removed swings and merry-go-rounds from our playgrounds. Or if we have them, they don't provide enough movement to actually sort of get that experience, right? So we've changed our environment in such a way to protect our children when it's actually created more danger. And I'll explain that. So if your primitive reflex, like we talked about before, one of them is called an asymmetrical tonic neck reflex. So that is where you turn your head to the right and your arm will extend your right arm and your left arm will sort of flex. And then if you turn your head to the left, that left arm will extend and the other arm will kind of flex. And if you watch a baby, they'll kind of move their head back and forth and their arms will, will move back and forth. So what happens is that reflex becomes integrated and you don't know, you no longer need it. Because if you tried to feed yourself when you bought the spoon to your mouth, your head would turn to the opposite direction. Um, and so that integrated. But what we see in situations where there's a spontaneous movement of the head in uh, drivers of cars. So if you're driving along and you're a teenager and your cell phone is in the passenger seat and you're driving along and it goes ding and you literally turn your head reflexively to the right, your steering wheel will turn. And I had a police officer in my office and he goes, and they hit parked cars. And I go, exactly. Or worse, if they see a squirrel or a ball on the left side, and they turn their head to the left, they hit oncoming traffic. And wow. so we were actually able to share that at a health and safety expo here. Um, they accepted us because that they were talking about safety and driver safety. And we said, okay, so if we're getting these primitive reflexes that are not getting integrated, what are we seeing in teenage drivers or what are we seeing in adult drivers? And that is exactly what happens. And so the same thing with a bicycle. You know, you have children who can't ride their bicycle because they have poor core strength. They can't even sit up straight. They can't balance right. they're in a chair all day. We started right. at three years old in school, sitting, sitting, sitting. And so they have 
poor core balance. But then when they turn their head, what happens to their the steer the bicycle handlebars? They turn and they crash. And parents are like, I don't know why they keep doing that or what happened. Well, let's look at their primitive reflex. Let's look at our environment. Look at look what they're doing and what they're not doing to sort of help that body develop. And we we look at you know our so many kids are in vision therapy. Well, we didn't use vision therapy because we were on the swing set on our stomach, which is highly illegal in school to be on your stomach on a swing because you could hurt yourself. But what do you think about what you're getting while you're on your stomach on a swing? You're getting eye tracking. So you're looking at the ground really close to your face. And then when you push off with your feet, which is lower extremity strengthening, and you use those core muscles to lift your head up and your neck and back muscles, and then you're looking far away. So your eyes are contracting just in that activity alone, right? And you're working on vestibular, which is linear movement. You're working on eye tracking. You're working on strengthening. You're working on problem solving, you know, body positioning. I mean, all of those things that really build the foundation for development. And our kids that are sitting in front of screens and sitting, sitting, sitting and not getting those experiences outside of nature and those movement experiences aren't developing those if that makes sense. They're not getting any of it. And I love what you're talking about, the core strength. That is the core, um, literally, to the whole problem. The foundation is weak. Like you said, in the beginning, there's cracks in these foundations. They can't, if your child doesn't have the core muscles in their trunk to sit in a chair in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, then they're they're not going to be able to read and write. It all builds on on this strong core Mm -hmm. and the um, merry-go-round is so fascinating because I've been doing a lot of research on this for a long time. In fact, I even helped a school a number of years ago redo their playground and we very purposely chose spinning type of disc and things that are illegal now (laughs) because the the merry-go-round, the merry-go-round was the best thing in the world. (laughs) And I still remember that, you know, if you got a really strong kid, you know, the, the athlete kid to start pushing the merry-go-round, then you were, it was thrilling because you were really in trouble (laughs) (laughs) because you would go really, really fast. But, um, Explain just for a second the vestibular, explain just the importance of that vestibular stimulation and what does that mean in a nutshell for the lay person out there and um, what do we, what can we do now to get that since it's so hard to get that? We, we did put swings out under our deck and when the twins were little, we would swing them so high because <laughs> you know, I wanted them to get all that swinging motion. Um, and we put a tire swing in the backyard too. And that really helped with the spinning because we would spin them on that. But explain why that's so important. Um, it, it, it's important for developing higher level um, learning, right? And so it has a lot to do with um, neurological development of the, of the movement system, right? Um, and it also has to do, again, with the reflexes. And so if we're not experiencing movement, then we might be very fearful of movement and may not go out into our world and and do other things, right? And experience other things. So you're less likely to ride your bike. You're less likely to go down a slide. You're less likely to to do all those things. So I tell people, I'm like, you know, you can have your your fit board at home, the mom's fit board, right? That is a, a very awesome spinning tool for kids, by the way. It's not a very expensive piece of therapeutic equipment. I would buy every family that has a newborn baby, a sit and spin type of toy. 
And so Dr. Ayers, I don't know if you, Dr. Ayers is the sensory integration guru who um, I can't wait to meet her in heaven one day. She's got to be an angel. She wrote sensory integration and the child. And it was Dr. Aging Ayers. And she's an incredibly brilliant woman. And so she, she talks about children will gravitate towards what their nervous system needs. And so just like, you know, outside, we were talking about growing up, our parents didn't know. We gravitated towards what we needed. We figured it out. And if, if a child doesn't develop those basic movement type patterns, then they can't move into those higher level learning type of things, right? So if the vestibular system is just the, the major organizer of the sensation or the sensory system. So it's, it's the system that, you know, really the only way to develop that is through a physical right. movement and the spinning is the ideal way to do that. Now, you don't want your kid to be spinning all day long. Of course, all this is balanced, but right now they're not getting, they're just not getting anything. The, the other thing that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, I thought that was really interesting about like throwing a ball when you're on a computer game and you're watching or you're doing the controller, you know, th- throwing the ball that is not working the brain pathways that you need in real life. So these skills that we think our kids are doing online, they do not transfer to real life. And I know so many parents that say, Oh no, they're learning how to do these things on, on their computer game. I'm like, but it has nothing to do with real life. And I explained to them, like my daughter is a gymnast and she was a college gymnast and all this. And when she was 10 years old, if we had just given her a gymnastics program online for her to watch, or maybe just YouTube to say, okay, you know, watch these, uh, you know, events here on YouTube. Do you think she would have been able to do them in real life? It's sad, but it's, really kind of humorous when you think um, that our kids are learning skills. And one thing that, let me just take a, a, a side note here that people say that they're learning executive function skills <laughs> online. And so we know with executive function skills, which that's your highest level of thinking and your skills that you desperately need. I'm sure you deal with executive function skills a lot in your line of work, that working memory, flexible thinking, self-control, those three areas, that is impossible. Those are impossible to develop on a screen. I I still can't figure out. So explain, let's talk about executive function for a minute and then we'll get back to some more of this other delay, the things that delay it, but talk about executive function. There's some different philosophy on that. So I've been attending classes on executive functioning and workshops. You know, we have to continue our education and keep our license and all of that. So I've been attending those and sitting there going, this doesn't make sense to me because I've been working with children for so long. And then I have, I have one of my children who I would consider on the spectrum. He's extremely brilliant. Um, and I, so I, I worked with children. Then God gave me three amazing, beautiful children that are so very different. Um, and then I continued working as a therapist. So the executive functioning didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because I thought, well, how can you really attend and how can you really have good behavior or, or age appropriate behavior if your sensory system isn't working, right? And I right. explain this as executive function kind of comes later or as you're working on the sensory system, it, that's our approach. I say, it's like, okay, you go to work, you've got the flu, hopefully the regular flu, you've got the flu. And you're overly sensitive to everything going around and everybody's eating their lunch in the office. And, you know, you've got all these smells that you just can't take. It's bright. The office lights are bright and, you know, it's loud. So your auditory system isn't working well. It's overly responsive. 
your visual system, the lights are bothering you, your olfactory, the smells, um, you know, the touch of your wool suit that you had to wear to work today. Um, and, you know, and all of those things are kind of not working well. And you feel like you're going to throw up and you're just trying to hold it together. And then your boss comes to you and says, I'm going to need this project done in an hour. And you're like, uh, wait a minute. I am just trying to not throw up. I'm just trying to not come out of my skin. And I really can't focus on that project right now. And so we do that to children. So we, we, they're, they're reflex. So if you have a spinal gallant that's not integrated, which, you know, their clothes are touching their back, the chair is touching their back. And that's a reflex where if you rub your finger across the back of a baby or a young child or even, even older kids, you'll get a twitch to one side. So say all of that's not working well, right? And we put them in a classroom with all these things hanging from the ceiling, all this artwork and craziness going on on the walls. Um, you know, there, there are smells, there's light, there's sound. And then we say, I want you to do your, your schoolwork. Yeah. And they can't do it. Or I want you to be have good behavior. Well, I'm or have about, self-control. That's right. I'm about to come out of my skin. And the best thing I can do right now is just barely hold it together and not throw a chair or not do, you know, something poor behavior activity right. or not. Then you then it, it throws them over the edge. So right. there are um these young guys, they were in Seattle and they are AspergerExpert.com guys, whatever. They actually, for the first time, they have, have lived with autism or Asperger's. They're total, um, I think they're kind of uh, techie guys, uh, but they explained it growing up with these sensory systems. Once the sensory is better, then once that, they have a sensory funnel, they call it a funnel, developmental funnel. Once that sensory is is um, improved or better, the funnel opens up and all those things, including uh, body awareness, language, eye hand, academic learning behavior, all those executive functionings go through the funnel. It's so much easier to work. So once we get those things going, then we can kind of address that higher level executive functioning, if that makes sense. And so to me, that's so much more important. And we, we work on when we're working with kids and we're doing, we do a lot of movement. We have a lot of suspended equipment. We have scooter boards. We have, you know, we work on a lot of movement stuff. Once we can get that sort of down, then we can move into the higher level stuff. But we do address the executive functioning things like that's not appropriate behavior or how would you handle that better? Yeah. But like what you're saying, you can't address executive function until these other things are done. I mean, you're analogy of having the flu and going to work, you can't work, you can't no. focus, you can't think you're certainly not able to give them the, your best, you know, work product right. or whatever with that. And so what we're talking about today is this idea of creating these really good foundations for our kids and the best way to do that. And the, the best things you can do to put your child on a trajectory for success instead of problems down the road. And it's so simple. And I tell parents all the time, it's cheap, it's free, actually. And everyone has what they need in their own home with opening the door, getting their kids outside, you know, taking them to the park, if that's what you need to do. This type of parenting, you know, it's, it's not convenient all the time, but this is what we have to do. And the brain develops from the back to the front, from the movement center, which is a cerebellum, all the way to the front of the brain, which is the executive function and the frontal cortex. So if you don't get that back, if you don't get the first part done well, you will struggle, your child will struggle the rest of their life. You have to get the movement part done early. And these are things that have to happen from the minute they're born all the way 
really through middle school and high school. Like we said earlier in the show, we didn't used to have to know this, but now we do (laughs) because it's been taken away and it's been taken away by screen time. As we start to have to wrap up, I can't believe the time is flying by, but explain what screen time does directly and indirectly to hurt our child's brain development. Uh, well, we're, um, we're seeing, uh, well, they're not getting the foundational um, neurological development of, you know, vestibular probe, tactile, we talked about all that, the movement stuff, right? So they're not getting that. Their brain pathways, so the, the prefrontal cortex is thinning out earlier. There's gray matter changes. There are literally brain formation changes that are occurring associated with the developing brain and the screen time. And, though, and you know, I know uh, that Lieutenant Colonel Grossman speaks about that, uh, speaks about what happens later on in life with when you have lack of empathy, uh, you have poor problem-solving skills, you have impulse control. And so we, we see what that happens later on in life uh, with children in schools and, and dangerous situations. Right. And so th- we're, that's what we're seeing, right? And so, so when they're on the screen, it's a trade-off time for other things. They're trading that screen time for movement. They're trading that screen time for eye contact and socialization. They're training mm-hmm. that screen time for learning life experiences. What can parents do? Um, well, they can start by going to Screen Strong and looking at the suggestions that you have made and taking the challenge, which uh, I think is absolutely incredible. That's what we, we recommend for our families is to take a break from that. Dr. Dunkley, uh, I love her book. She gives credibility because she's a physician to those of us that are out in the field working on that. But we recommend that book to parents all the time about detoxing, you know, looking at what that looks like. Um, it's, it's kind of an in-depth book with a lot of neurology, um, but I think it sort of explains really well. But just starting out with your screen strong recommendations and removing the screen for a week and, and offering those um, activities or suggestions and other things that you can do. Um, nature bathing. Nature bathing is now a thing. I can actually prescribe nature. I think they're wow. actually moving towards it. You can write a prescription for nature bathing now, which we call camping in my family. <laughs> so <laughs> we just call that camping. I mean, you know, you're getting out in nature. There's no tech. I mean, we live in a great part of the United States where we can go camping a lot of, uh, most of the year. You're getting away from media and technology. You're getting those sensory experiences, just like we talked about. You can smell the trees. You can feel the water. You can feel the the sand, the dirt, the grass on your feet. Um, you you know all those sensory experiences. So nature bathing is actually a thing where you can get continuing education as a therapist and prescribe that for your clients. I think that's what we were doing. We were nature bathing as children when they threw us out in the yes. backyard and locked the door. <laughs> right. Well, and you know what's so interesting that I'm realizing, you know, and I've I've this kind of hit me a while back. But I, as you're talking, so many people say, well, if you don't give your kids screens, then they're just going to grow up in a bubble and they're in a bubble and they don't, they won't be in the real, you know, digital world and whatever. And as you're talking even more today, I'm realizing, no, no, these screen kids are in a bubble, but the Mm -hmm. screen strong kids who are not on their screens all day, they are, they're not in a bubble. They are experiencing the bumps and bruises of real life, which is happening to develop their brains better, which is going to make them smarter. Absolutely. That's the direct correlation. That is absolutely correct. I mean, we have, they call it play-based learning 
well, people want, uh, parents want to put their children in a school early on learning about media and technology. And then you've got the children who are playing outside till six and seven years old. They're learning all those developmental skills. And, and I mean, as an occupational therapist, we think about, you know, handwriting is one of a big problem that they send, you know, for occupational therapists, right? That's, that's an outward right. sign of a neurological impairment. I mean, that is just what you're seeing from the outside. So we get that when we think, okay, so what's going on with that? Development goes from gross to fine. It goes from close to the body, proximally to distally out to the fingers. So you think about a baby can sit up barely and catch a big ball and wrap their big, their arms around the ball, right? And that is mm-hmm. a gross motor movement. And then it's a fine motor movement when they can pick up little balls and put them in a, you know, or pegs in a pegboard or, or pick yeah. up the Cheerios with their fingers. That is development. And you need that gross to fine and you need that gross meaning movement too to develop those fine motor skills. And so, right. yes, people will say that all the time, but well, they're going to get left behind. No, they won't because I'm going to tell you what I learned technology and media, I don't know, two to five years ago is pretty much irrelevant now. And definitely what I learned in high school, you know, <laughs> picking up, you know, dialing the modem with a big phone and putting it there, you know, and, uh, and what we learned in computers is completely irrelevant. So yeah. it's better to have play-based and movement learning outside in nature and experiencing the world to develop higher level functions than to be learning computer skills and technology now. And, and again, we are teaching our kids, our biggest one, Fortnite, Minecraft. Minecraft is in the schools. Fortnite, yeah. Minecraft, and then this other one, Among Us. Oh, yeah. my goodness, parents. Mm-hmm. You need to look at what your kids are watching and playing. And learning to kill is not good. No. And learning mm-hmm. to lie, Among Us. There's someone among us that is not telling the truth or that's a bad person, an evil person. And my kids are literally playing those games off the computer. They're learning to lie and, and to not tell the truth. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And they're, and they're changing the architecture of their brain. That's all there is to it. There's no other way to say it. They're building a brain very differently than the way that we know the healthy thing is to do. It's, Absolutely. it's not necessary. None of the, none of the screen stuff that we think is so necessary for our kids is, is necessary. It, it's not, they're not going to be behind. They're going to be way further ahead, developmentally speaking. And those of y'all who've followed a screen strong and listened to my podcast, you hear me say this all the time. And this show today is explaining some real critical science around why our message is so solid. Kids who are spending more time in real life will do better in real life than kids who are spending time on screens. Even the kids who are not on screens because of like what you're just saying, and I love the way you said it, that they're not, it's what they're giving up. It's, you know, it's not so much that one of these little games might be bad. It's what they're not doing while they're wasting their time on this game. Because in my opinion, and I think science is very clear on this, we don't have enough time in, in childhood to even get through the normal stuff that we need to do, much less start taking time away from movement and handwriting and eye to eye social expression and all that. We don't have enough time. And I finally realized years ago that I'm not willing to continue to trade all these precious hours that are hard enough to get in our culture, you know, for more screen time. And we can even talk about what the media and technology industry has come out to say, which we have known is they use 
intermittent reward system in video gaming specifically to create addiction. And so yes. we know that, right? And we know that that Skinner's approach um, that that's used in um, gambling. It, it's in gambling. Yep. It's in it's in our computer games. So without realizing it, right? And and those swipes across the screen and those um, you know those provide dopamine to the pleasure centers of the brain comparable to cocaine and sex. So if you think about you're doing that to your child, your young child, and then the other thing you're doing as parents, you're training your child's brain to only attend to snippets of information at a very young age. And then you put them in a classroom, say, you know, preschool or, or what, and they have to sit in circle time and they can't even sit or they can't attend to the teacher for 30 minutes to learn a lesson, you've literally contributed to training that brain to only respond to short snippets of information. And then what do you do later on? You medicate them. And so let's just back up and not go that direction. Let's try to fix that. Oh, absolutely. That reward pathway for video games, for example, or for social media, that gets really stimulated, that reward pathway. And if you can envision what it's like for a huge truck to go through a muddy road and, and then it, you know, it's muddy and wet and then the sun dries it, you know, that rut made by that tire, that's what we're doing. We're, and so the next time your kid wants something to do or they're bored, they're going to naturally go to the path of least resistance, which is the rut that you've created by letting them be on the screen over and over and over and over again. So it's not so much what they're doing, but it's setting them up to prefer that. And then you throw in what you just talked about, the persuasive design, like a slot machine, they're mm -hmm. not gonna be able to get off. So it's this vicious circle. And that's why we say at this age, at this stage of development, when all of these other things need to be happening, and our kids really have a deficit in sensory development, and they also are detaching from their families way too early, remember the ATM, the attachment, touch and movement, during this stage, it is really best to hit the pause button and delay all this screen nonsense that's hurting our kids. It is okay. You are not getting behind. In fact, we're learning today from Lisa that you are actually getting ahead. You're actually making your kids smarter. You're giving them more potential and you are not hurting their social development. Their social development needs to be in person. Social development was never meant to be online. We as adults can use our Facebook to connect with our friends, but we're not making friends through that. Our kids need to learn how to do this in person. And as we learned today, in the backyard, in the mud, <laughs> getting mm -hmm. as dirty as possible with as many friends as possible to have a good time and just to create stories, the stories of childhood that I talk about that our kids don't have. They don't have stories. They didn't do anything. I bet you and I would have so much fun <laughs> talking about what we did. That's what we need to get back to. We're not trying to say that screens are all bad. That is not at all what we're saying. We're saying it's the wrong thing at the wrong time for kids. And then especially bringing back to the beginning of the show when I was talking about situation with the kid that sent, you know, the, the sexed photo around, um, you know, this time of development, the teenage years, you know, we've got to put up some walls of protection around our kids. They, their brain isn't ready growing up in the backyard, playing outside, whether or not that's even happened or not, there is still, they're not finished developing 
this executive function is not quite there yet. And I think it's actually very cruel to give them a piece of equipment that they can't handle like a phone. I would like to say too, that I don't think that at first you're going to be the favorite parent. And sometimes that's really hard, but remember that you're not your child's best friend. You're the parent and you are looking out for their best interest. You are their best advocate. Uh, you love them more than anybody else is ever going to love them. Um, and even in my own personal experience with my own children, um, and I, like I said, I, I have one that's, that I would consider on the spectrum, who's very high functioning and very intelligent. It was very difficult to say, you need to stop what you're doing. You're not playing video games in the basement all day Saturday. You need to get outside. And that met with anger and frustration. I mean, this was before we knew about all of this stuff, but I had a sense that this was not the best thing for my child. It was really difficult. You know, we had a trampoline, we had a basketball, we had bicycles with scooters, we had everything that you could imagine that was outside, punching bags. I mean, everything that, that you could do outside and physical. And I wasn't the favorite parent to say, you need to go outside and experience the world. And it is a struggle and it's not going to be easy if you've let this go for a while. But let me just tell you that in the end, it is definitely worth it. I can see in my own children, I mean, they're all three very successful and they have worked hard at it too. Um, but because I exposed them to things and they experienced life, they were able to go off on their own and be successful young adults uh, where I didn't have to worry about them. And I think that is one of the biggest rewards as a parent. I know that my child can fly from Washington to New York, get on the subway, take a train, take a boat and end up at school. And I don't have to worry about that 18, 19, 20 year old being able to do that. And there's some freedom yeah. in knowing that. And it comes with being able to establish those skills early on. And so, you know, if you are having trouble with your child, look for a therapist. Um, I would say look for an occupational therapist because I am one and I think it's an awesome field. Um, and I, I think we work really well with children, but look for an occupational therapist that specializes in the sensory systems and knows about that because that's going to be a very different approach. Yeah, I think that's, a, I think a lot of people are looking for counselors, but really I think they need to look for an occupational therapist. I'm convinced that this, when you can fix this part of it, then the other stuff just falls into place. And like you said, you pay now or you pay later. You've got to fix it at some point in your life. You, right. you will have to fix it. It can't not be fixed. Absolutely. And, and I will tell you that I have parents will tell me after a week that they have a totally different child by following our guidelines and, and, and basically like your screen strong recommendations, especially the younger children. Teachers will say, wow, what are you doing? This is a totally different child in my classroom. Yeah, we hear teachers asking the parents, are, are you finally put them on medication? And they say, no, we no. just took their screens away. The screens are just a convenience. It's a convenient I guess it's pretty convenient for the teachers. I don't know. I guess it's convenient for the school, convenient for the parents. But since when is convenience really ever the best thing when we're raising our kids? <laughs> if it's easy, then it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> I know. I know. Except for throwing them in the backyard and shutting the screen door and letting them play till they're exhausted and they're falling in the bed. And that is a really, really good point. All this has just been fascinating. Thank you so much, Melissa. Is there any one final 
word of encouragement to give our parents some hope, just something quick, what can you say? That the brain is malleable. It's ever changing. And with these young developing brains, you can make a difference. It just takes a little bit of effort to make that difference. And I think the parents will feel very good about what they've accomplished and they will enjoy being around their children more and they will enjoy seeing their children happier and making progress. You're absolutely right. And I see it every day and not only my own kids, but other kids that just a little bit of effort goes such a long way. It is not that hard. So I want everybody to have a lot of hope out there and just get ready to really have fun with your kids. Go get your kids out of that digital bubble that they're living in and get them back into real life. Melissa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I definitely appreciate being on. I hope you all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and head over to our website to donate and learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge that we talked about today. Also, make sure to join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group where you will find support from other parents just like you to be able to help you out. Remember, we have your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids. Stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Mm -hmm.